Here we go. The Earth Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Fox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. Well, I did it, and it's partly your fault, but I also... I fully accept responsibility for my decision. However, if it wasn't for you, I probably never would have. But I did it. And I did it also because the window, the window of opportunity was closing. So I seized upon the opportunity a couple of nights ago. And I watched Moneyball. Oh, it's a great film. Why do you think so? Uh, I just like docudramas. I like biopics. Um, I just find it, uh, you know, since I do a lot of coding, I feel like I'm that guy that was writing the code. Uh, so you so would be, you would be Jonah Hill. I would be Jonah Hill for sure. I'm, I'm not, you know, in life, I am not Brad Pitt. I'm the Jonah Hill. Yeah. That part was pretty interesting to me. So Moneyball, of course, is a movie with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Robin Wright is actually given top billing, even though I don't remember. I mean, not top billing, but, you know, elevated. Like, I didn't even remember her in the movie when I was, like, doing some background research on it. I realized, oh, she was supposed to be Billy Bean's wife. And that's Brad Pitt's character, Billy Bean, the general manager of the, what, the 2002 uh, Oakland A's baseball team who you know went against traditional scouting and and hiring methods i guess to to build a team on a very limited budget that actually earned the league's the the record for the league's longest winning streak and he did it by Looking at, well, basically looking at statistics. I don't know. I, f I found that part a little bit unbelievable, although I think in real life there, were, there was probably a lot more uh, in-depth analysis and care taken to uh, this. I mean, the scene that I'm referring to is where he goes to, uh, what was it? The, the Cleveland Indians to talk trades and, and wheel and deal, and he notices jonah hill's character whispering in the ear of one of the the people making the decisions essentially saying yeah we'll trade this guy or no we won't trade that guy and and after the meeting is over he approaches this character at his desk and says who are you what are you doing here why does why does that guy listen to you? Like like what were you saying to him? And after sort of you know carefully extracting or uh, maybe bullying the the information out of him, he learns that this guy's a statistical genius. Recru recruits him to the Oakland A's as the uh, assistant general manager. And they go to work building a team based on what these undervalued players will statistically, I mean, basically 
are guaranteed to provide for the team. And, and, uh, you know, this gives us the basis for the movie, but I, I thought it was really good. I was pleased, you know, and <clears throat> I'd scrolled past it a few times. It's on HBO max. Uh, I mm. believe until the end of the month. And that was what prompted me to watch it because as I'm scrolling through HBO max, looking for something to, I guess it's not HBO max anymore. It's just max. As I was scrolling through, looking for something to watch, I saw it popped up under the, uh, last chance category. So I thought, okay, well, I better, I better do it before I lose my chance. It's weird. I don't, I don't watch anything that, I mean, rarely do I watch anything that isn't on a streaming service anymore. Yeah. Unless it's something that I am really seeking, you know, like a new Star Wars movie or something like that. That's really the only thing I can think of at this point that I would go out of my way to see, like, in a movie theater. Although I heard uh, Gran Turismo was really great. I haven't. It, oh, it, it was, I've not seen that yet. It was in and out of my local theater, and I, I missed it. I'll see it when it comes up for streaming. I think also having little kids contributes to my desire to, to watch movies. Although I'm really, uh, I'm really motivated right now to do more productive things. Like there's new games out and I'm, I have bad influences. I mean, I call them bad influences, but they're, they're my friends telling me, Hey, Baldur's gate three is excellent. And you're missing out if you don't get it. And it was only it was only hard to resist for like one weekend. I'm I'm much happier with my decision to abstain and be more productive. I've written an entire song in the last four days because I've just decided, you know what? I'm not really the only time I play a game is when I'm working out and I'm I'm on my bike because my hands are free. And I'm getting a little bit of cardio. And if I have the, the, the greatest distraction I can have when I'm working out is the best distraction. Because then I'm not reminded that I'm, I, I can forget that I'm working out and pass the time much more quickly. But Moneyball yeah. is, what would you say? It's, it's one of your top five. Uh, it's probably top, top 20. It's probably top 20 for me. I wouldn't put that at top five, but for me, top 20 for sure. I was really glad to learn that it isn't actually a baseball movie because I'm, yeah. I'm not a fan of baseball. No, neither. Neither. I find it terribly boring. Yeah. I think what's really clear in that film is, is that, um, it wasn't necessarily what they did at the Oakland days, like, you know, the coding and in all the statistical analysis, there was an element of like the old school in there as well. You know, Billy had to do those crazy trades and play people off against each other. And that twinned with the statistical analysis they did was like a winning formula, which is really cool that they managed to capture that because they could have quite easily just gone, well, 
the only different thing they did was this and this is what but it was quite clear to me that it wasn't just that it was this and what billy was doing too there was an interesting i i just read a few comments about um art house the you know he was the head the what what do you call the guy the manager i guess not the head coach it's you know supposed to be different nomenclature but you know basically he functions as the head coach yes made some comments in in an interview because well it, it was interesting the the movie was originally planned to be what we have today and then they wanted i think they brought in another director soderberg i think i saw was the the name of the other director that they brought in who wanted to make it more documentary and less drama and actually like include interviews with with the real players and then they decided later to no we'll do it more like a traditional film and i think Art House saw the the documentary version, and it kind of hurt his feelings. Because, mm. uh, for example, there's a scene in the movie where Billy Bean, Brad Pitt's character, and Art Howe, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character, are arguing about which, you know, which players to use. Now, Billy Bean has he's he's taken this approach of getting rid of players that don't. I mean, he's <coughs> he's functioning as the general manager getting rid of the players that don't suit his vision for the team and bringing in the players that do. And it's upsetting, you know, Art Howe, the head coach, the team manager. And one of the, one of the, the key conversations is they're butting heads about this guy, Hattenberg, that Billy Bean wanted to play first base. Well, Art Howe didn't want him to play first base. And this is, the, this is his position in the movie. But in reality, at least Art Howe, he disputes the fact that, that he didn't have faith in Hattenberg in real life and that he was always his first choice. So I don't, I guess I don't fully understand why you wouldn't, I mean, it's, it's drama, right? The, the head coach and the general manager butting heads. It was a, it was a good dynamic of the film. Yeah. But the this this baseball club, they started out what they they lost like their first seventeen games, or or something like that, and then then they ended. Yeah, up, it was a rough start. Yeah, they, they ended up making the playoffs because of this brilliant statistical analysis, and I think that's what that's what made it a great movie. It's kind of like an uh, an underdog story almost. Would you agree? Oh, it's definitely an underdog story. Yeah, for sure it's an underdog story. This this picture is painted that nobody really wanted to believe Billy Bean. They all they thought he was crazy for getting rid of these players, and that was kind of what did it for me. Yeah, that, everyone doubted him. They didn't have as much money as some of the big, you know, major league baseball teams. And, uh, you know, like all the odds were against them, I guess. And uh, no, it's a really it's a really cool Hollywood story 
that just happened to have uh, a real life, you know, backing to it, which is really cool. I I do I do feel compelled to spoil the ending, but um, I will not say that I'm going to revisit it after it leaves HBO Max because I won't. But I won't. I also won't spoil the ending. If you want to go see it, it's on it's on uh, Max right now. I think uh, until the end of the month, and I would say it's worth your time, even if you don't like baseball movies. If you like good movies. Check it out. It's worth your agreed. time. Yeah, agreed. The Russell Brand saga continues. Oh, it does. It's Big time. sort of, well, it's sort of soft murmurings now in the States. What's it like in the UK? It's, uh, it's still pretty big, although there's some other things that are taking, that seem to have soaked up some of the news cycle. Um, but you know, it's still huge news. Like, you know, Russell Brand is a massive figure here in the UK. You know, 7 million subscribers on YouTube. You know, he's, you know, as online celebrities or not online, but uh, A-list sort of celebrities go. He is, he is pretty big in the UK. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely, he's definitely in the back of a lot of people's minds right now. 11.3 million followers on Twitter, X. Wow. <laughs> and um, this is from September 15th. We didn't get to it last week, and I feel it is appropriate. This is, this is Russell Brand's, if you haven't heard it already, this is Russell Brand's uh, rebuttal to the, the allegations, I guess, being brought against him. Hello there, you Awakening Wonders. Now, this isn't the usual type of video we make on this channel where we critique, attack, and undermine the news in all its corruption, because in this story, I am the news. The, the primary reason he's under attack right now. <laughs> I've received two extremely disturbing letters, or a letter and an email, one from a mainstream media TV company, one from a newspaper listing a litany of extremely egregious and aggressive attacks, as well as some pretty stupid stuff, like uh, my community festival should be stopped, that I shouldn't be able to attack mainstream media narratives on this channel. But amidst this litany of astonishing, rather baroque attacks are some very serious allegations that I absolutely refute. These allegations pertain to the time when I was working in the mainstream, when I was in the newspapers all the time, when I was in the movies. And as I've written about extensively in my books, I was very, very promiscuous. Now, during that time of promiscuity, the relationships I had were absolutely always consensual. I was always transparent about that then, almost too transparent. And I'm being transparent about it now as well. And to see that transparency metastasized into something criminal that I absolutely deny makes me question is there another agenda at play? Particularly when we've seen coordinated media attacks before, like with Joe Rogan, when he dared to take a medicine that the mainstream media didn't approve of. And we saw a spate of headlines from media outlets across the world using the same language. I'm aware that you guys have been saying in the comments for a while, watch out, Russell, they're coming for you. You're getting too close to the truth. Russell Brand did not kill himself. I know that a year ago there was a spate of articles. Russell Brand's a conspiracy theorist. Russell Brand's right wing. I'm aware of news media making phone calls, sending letters to people I know 
for ages and ages. It's been clear to me, or at least it feels to me, like there's a serious and concerted agenda to control these kind of spaces and these kind of voices. And I mean my voice along with your voice. I don't mind them using my books and my stand-up to talk about my promiscuous consensual conduct in the past. What I seriously refute are these very, very serious criminal allegations. Also, it's worth mentioning that there are witnesses whose evidence directly contradicts the narratives that these two mainstream media outlets are trying to construct, apparently in what seems to me to be a coordinated attack. Now, I don't want to get into this any further because of the serious nature of the allegations, but I feel like I'm being attacked and plainly they are working very closely together. We are obviously going to look into this matter because it's very, very serious. In the meantime, I want you to stay close, stay awake, but more important than any of that, if you can, please stay free. That's how he ends every podcast that he does or, or video or, you know, show whatever he would call it. So what is your rebuttal to that, to, you know, to that statement? And what is the general narrative? I guess narrative, because what, what gets pushed out through the media, I don't personally believe coincides with the feelings of yeah. the majority of the population. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my personal opinion is, is I, I just don't know. You know, I don't know. Of course, I've only seen news articles, and of course, they don't reveal their sources, so it's not like I can investigate that e any further. I have to take what the news tells me on face value. Right, okay? I don't think we know the identity of, of the journalist that, that you know, the, the point man or woman. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... Is pushing I think the probably they do that on purpose to to stop Russell Brand's fans coming back on them. Um, to some degree, I appreciate that, but at the same time, you know, it kind of feels like being shot at in the dark um, by an <laughs> you know unknown assailant. That's a great analogy. Um, but at the you know at the same time, like uh, I I have to take Russell Brand's what he says on face value as well. So my overall opinion of this is this just, I just don't know. Uh, <laughs> there are no facts anywhere that well, I've seen. <clears throat> so it's interesting, right? That he went, you know, 20 years in Hollywood. I mean, I think he is at the height of his popularity because, uh, he's taken this sort of, right hand turn literally to conservatism and anti-establishment and now these allegations come out and what's more yeah well the funny thing is he's not really conservative no no he but will he be like so many liberals in in the united states have become more conservative only because the spectrum has shifted so far right, i see i see they've stayed in the same place but the two sides have got more radical that's what you're saying exactly mm, okay yeah and and since he is an independent voice i mean this is just my opinion or or my conspiracy theory since he's come out as anti-establishment he's been pushing out this information i mean the same information that i push out however he has 11.3 million followers on Twitter slash X 
follow me at Earthfox. <laughs> By the way, give me a hand. Yeah, give, give Earthfox like 1% of that. He'll be happy forever, man. <laughs> um, he, he comes under fire because he's... It's, I, I feel like it's those liberal personalities that have just maintained their views and call it like they see it that are coming under attack from this leftist media establishment that wants to have consolidated power, a consolidated narrative. And now your one of your MPs has written a letter to Rumble, the YouTube competitor, to say you need to take his all of his stuff off. You need to demonetize him. Yeah. De- deperson him. You basically, Rumble, you need to fall in line with what we're all doing over here on, on YouTube and, and Google. And I, I, they've at least been successful in getting major corporations that were advertising on Rumble to pause or withdraw their ad campaigns. So what do you know about this MP that's sent this letter? Well, uh, she's the chair of the House Commons uh, House of Commons Culture, Media, and Sport Committee. Um, so, I she I don't know exactly what that role in, in entails, <laughs> but I would assume that she sits on a committee that looks after um, the country's overall interests in uh, media and sort of large. Uh, enterprise in entertainment, I would have thought so. But she's a dame. She's uh, so she's. I think she's in the House of Lords, I believe. Oh no, she is a member of Parliament. Yeah, so no, she is. Yeah, it's uh, Dame Caroline uh, Dinage, I think her name is. Um, and she wrote a letter to Rumble, and Rumble have since rejected that because it's not like a binding letter. It's like a Basically, she's on the committee and she's basically saying to this company that um, I don't like this person's content and I find it um, some sort of uh, danger to, obviously herself, but it's of some sort of danger to the to the country, I think she's probably alluding to. And Rumble has no legal obligation to do anything. Um, they have literally no legal obligation to do anything at all so uh she can they they can just reject it and they have rejected it and so what's really interesting about this is the pretty much like from our sort of area people that believe you know think a little bit like me and like like you and you listeners at home there's been a quite lot of outrage at the fact that um this mp has written this letter to rumble at all, uh, under any context, um, I think it's something that's really bad. Uh, because even if there's no legal obligation for Rumble to do anything, there is a sort of underlying tone which says, if you don't toe the line, there could be consequences down the road. Yeah, because it's, it's she, bad optics. Yeah, 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 she could say, 
I sent a letter to Rumble, Rumble did nothing and bring this up in Parliament. And then Parliament could make legislation to make large organizations like Rumble toe the line. Well, and there, there is already legislation or, or there's a new bill, right? Some, some internet safety act. There is one, be yeah, there is one that's been tabled, but as far as I'm aware, every time they bring it up, it gets cut down and sent back and everything like that. So these are bills that they, it's similar to like the HIPAA and SOPA bills and other stuff about like child sexual exploitation. They just kind of wrap a bunch of stuff up in it. They try it almost every year to get this shit through. Well, and if, yeah, um, it's, it's always... Yeah, it's the same in America. They do the same. They do the same thing over there. They try and yeah, they they call it they call it something that's you know like the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a bunch of Marxist Green Party. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, like they know. wanted to like they wanted to make everyone put in your fucking ID for porn or something like that's just an outrageous thing to have to legislate. Um. So no. It's not. It's not an actual bill right now. It's something that people are that they're trying to table, but it's highly unpopular. Well, I wonder. The house. <coughs> I wonder how much it has to do with this. So I just found this article from uh, re reclaimthenet.org, and uh, okay. <laughs> it's so yeah. So so take it with a with a grain of salt. At least the journalist puts his name on it. By Tom Parker, headline, UK MP who pressured Rumble to demonetize Russell Brand received donation in kind from Google. Tech giant Google provided a donation in kind worth 3,302 pounds, approximately $4,060 to the UK member of parliament that recently sent letters to Rumble, TikTok, Facebook, and X that pressured them to demonetize Comedian and commentator Russell Brand, after anonymous sexual assault allegations were made against him. The MP, Dame Carolyn Dinenage, who chairs the Culture, Media, and Sport Committee in the UK Parliament, received two tickets with hospitality and accommodation as guests of YouTube at the Glastonbury Festival of Contemporary Arts 2023 on June 26th. This donation in kind from Google was valued at, yeah, a little over. Oh, I see what that is. $3,000. Okay. Yeah, so it's not like they sent her Pounds. money. They, they, sent, they basically like comped her a visit to, the, to their media conference, essentially. Okay, that's, that's less nefarious than I thought it was going to be. I thought they just sent her like straight money, but I'd imagine most MPs that are in media or something probably got something like that. And I can imagine other tech companies do exactly the same thing. And unfortunately, I don't think Rumble has the money to be, to be doing that kind of thing, but it's interesting. Well, and this is the, the travesty of the whole situation. If you don't, this, this apparatus is in place that says, if you don't toe the line and basically do what you're told, we're going to pull all of our puppet strings and we're going to do things like get HelloFresh to stop advertising, to get Burger King to stop advertising. And they're a competitive platform. It's the same technique that uh, major corporations like Amazon 
they they take the same approach when it comes to things like uh, intellectual property and 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 copyright and things like that. They will, and I've brought it up on the show before. Yeah, they will steal somebody's idea. A, an independent inventor will come up with some idea for a tool or something, for example, and they'll start to sell it on Amazon. Well, then Amazon will steal their idea send it to China, have it manufactured for, for half the price and, and have, you know, make a million of them to drop the price you know, in half again and then put that as the top search result on Amazon and effectively bankrupt this inventor. Now, the inventor could identify this and take Amazon to court, but what kind of legal budget do you think this small-time invent inventor has yeah practically zero when going up, i mean compared to going up against amazon's legal budget so rumble a struggling i mean i wouldn't say struggling you know chris chris uh, pavlovsky the ceo because only because of how much rumble stock he owns is technically a billionaire you know well done him yeah, seriously. But that's going to go away pretty fast if he tries good, to... I think this is good for Rumble, though, to be honest. Because... They're definitely getting more exposure this way. The same, yeah, the same way it's, it's good for Russell Brand. Uh, uh, yeah, it's in this, yeah I, think, I think exactly the same. Like, in the same way that this is good for Russell Brand's brand uh, being like sort of an alt figure. I hate saying that, but that's the only way I can think about calling people like Russell Brand. Um, and the same is for Rumble. It is an alternative platform to YouTube. And the more uh, eyes and the more people that know about it, the more people then use it and the bigger it becomes. Because let's be honest, we need a serious competitor to YouTube. That YouTube has been like the monopoly for so long. So I think this is really good for Rumble uh, in general. I, and you know what's even funny? I've just been researching like the committee for culture media and sport and so essentially what it is it's actually uh, less powerful than i thought it was it's only an overseeing body for the department of culture media and sport so they're not like a government department they're a cross-party committee um that then oversees the government department so i don't even think she, this is so weird. It's like she's trying to claim her like 15 minutes of fame or something. Um, well, and she's probably getting a clap on the back for being a, yeah, a champion yeah. of, you know, authoritarian speech policies. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, you don't have sure. free speech. You don't have free speech in, in the UK. What, what are, what are the laws? I mean, it's not that the laws matter anymore you know, globally, you're either on the right, you're either on the winning team and you get to do whatever you want, or you're on the losing team and you better keep your head down or it's going to get lopped off by the censorship saw. <laughs> but what, what yeah. sort of protections do you have in the, in the UK for being able to post online, for example? Um, it's not amazing. I'll be honest. The laws around hate speech particularly are very vague and they are subject to vast interpretation. Do you find it interesting that, because this is something that I always, uh, you know, stumble across in my own brain 
to paint a weird picture. <laughs> but I, I feel like there is, there has been an effort, and this goes back to concepts like, you know, the, the Frankfurt School conspiracy theory, that we've been, in, in America, we've been carefully studied. Our governing documents have been carefully studied. And the, the, the chess pieces have been arranged on the board to exploit the weaknesses in the language of our governing documents. So when you say something like there's not anything, there's not anything solid on the books for something like hate speech, I just wonder, do you think that that is deliberately being exploited to push this cultural agenda? Um, I would probably say so. I would probably say that they leave it particularly vague because that allows them, um, that allows them power to make decisions and to cover their own ass because it's vague. the The difference, the real difference between, um, the law in the UK compared to like even other countries that have a parliament is that we have no constitution. Um, so there isn't like. There isn't like a set of like very basic constitutional rules. We call it the Bill of Rights over here. Right. Yeah. We don't have a Bill of Rights. We don't have a constitution. We have to rely on lots of um, individual uh, laws and bylaws and other things together that make up the sort of like regulatory body of the country. So, like anything that was like voted into parliament four or five hundred years ago is still valid today uh but it can also be changed at any point right it yeah it can be changed at any point and and to, to some degree that's the same with um that's the same with your constitution it, you know their amendments so i guess they can be amended or there's well there's a few ways so some of for some of and i, I i'm not like i shouldn't even be trying to explain this because i don't i don't know the ins and outs well enough but i know for certain things, like uh, federal term limits, there can be what's called a convention of states, where the lead, where leadership from the individual states can create constitutional amendments outside of the federal government. And I, but I believe the federal government can also do it through uh, through legislating. But that's one of the main reasons that, uh, or, or that's one of the things that's pointed to for, you know, these, the shortcomings that we're suffering from, like, uh, you know, congressional term limits. I, fi- I find it really interesting that we have no term limits for congressmen and senators, mm. but a president is in and out in in eight years tops. It's it's another one of those things that I look at that that sort of confirms my theory that that our enemies have looked at our documents, found the flaws, and exploited them. And now these exploitations are coming to fruition. But in Canada, yeah, of course, like it, what's more powerful, like you know, spending a bunch of money and trying to you know win over the favor of a really high highly sought after like senator or congressman or would you spend all your time going after a president that would end up 
you know, leaving in eight years. Like if you get if you get someone in a safe seat on your side, then that's that's almost like forever. Like you know, Feinstein. How long has she been in power? Even someone like Biden. You know, Biden's been a was Biden a senator or congressman for like fucking ages? I mean, he he, he was he's been in politics for for ages and ages and ages. And it's ages. the only thing he's ever done. That's it. So you know, imagine winning someone over like that for your business, for your country, or whatever. It's it's a big time compared to winning over Trump for like four years or winning over someone like you know, let's just say Obama or Biden now. Say you know, just because he's he's got a president, it seems kind of useless. And I've just uh, researched a little bit on. Um, the free speech laws here in the, in the UK, ours is determined by the Human Rights Act of 1998. And I, I bet this will be also contradicted in great deal by the ECHR, the European Court of Human Rights, because they will have a different spin on this as well. Um, but essentially, we have a right to freedom of expression, which is great, and hold opinions and to receive and impart information and ideas without interference by public authority. And regardless of frontiers, but this article should not prevent states from requiring the licensing or broadcasting television or cinema enterprises. So they put that query in there so that um, if you make a film, they can like age rate it or censor it and stuff like that. Um, and also the exercise of these freedoms since it carries with it duties and responsibilities may be subject to such formalities, conditions, restrictions, or penalties as are prescribed by law and are necessary in a democratic society in the interest of national security, territorial integrity, or public safety for the prevention of disorder or crime, for the protection of health or morals, for the protection of reputation or, or rights of others, for pre preventing the disclosure of information received in confidence, or for maintaining the authority and impartiality of the judiciary. So they basically say you have a right to, to the freedom of expression. Um, and then Unless they basically it's bad. outline, yeah. <laughs> and, and then they outline a bunch of like get out of jail free clauses for them, which basically says that like um, you can say whatever you like, but there are consequences for what you say sometimes. That's essentially what it's like here in the UK. And with the Hate Speech Act, it becomes even more difficult because the Hate Speech Act is like, or the Hate Speech, uh, whatever the law is, you know, essentially it's kind of worded a little bit like if you say something that can be taken as discriminatory to a group or race or whatever, then you can be uh, tried. Like that's essentially what they're saying, which you know, is highly subjective. <laughs> um, and also, how do you define groups? How do you define races? How do you define what is and isn't racist? How do you define context? So these are all these problems. I mean, this is what Count Dankula went through in, in Scotland because Scotland, right. their hate speech laws are much, much uh, uh, more draconian than even ours are, which I feel so bad for him because... You know, laws are very complicated here in the UK. It's the land of bureaucracy. It's the land of, you know, you need your license for your this, that, and the other um, compared to um, America. But the funny thing is, is that once you're in the legal system, sometimes it kind of works to your favor because you might be able to pull up some random law from like 600 years ago that like gets you out of your court case kind of thing. Like there was a guy I know, uh, who got caught speeding, but he can use this law from like 400 years ago and it got him out of his speeding ticket. Yeah, so yeah. Like, 
That's like yeah. the sovereign. That's like the sovereign citizen. Uh, or 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 oh god, you you know what I'm talking about. You saved me. On I know exactly. Last time I know I exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's like the sovereign citizen thing. If the sovereign citizen thing was actually written into law. Um, yeah, I don't. It's, yeah. it's funny because like you would think of this sovereign citizen concept. I mean, people use this in 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 my area from basically from what I know. The pe- people use this this legal concept to not have a driver's license to not purchase car insurance you know to probably not pay taxes to do all of this stuff it's interesting i only learned of these people who uh moved way out when i moved way out into the middle of nowhere i i learned that oh there are these people that think that they don't have to have driver's licenses or (laughs) car insurance for example i mean i'm i'm (laughs) I'm sure it's it's other things, but uh, yeah, I I wouldn't be shocked to find out that there's a much smaller uh, portion of the population in in urban areas. At least, yeah. well, well, no, let me let me caveat that because I think in urban areas there probably are a lot more people that don't have driver's licenses or car insurance. Mm-hmm. But those aren't people that think that they are legally allowed to not do that. It's the kooks that are that live in my neighborhood that think that they don't have to have. Yeah, it's always rural people that do that kind of thing. They're like, "What? I've never had to have a license for nothing, and I drive. I've been driving thirty five years. Yeah, license. what do you mean? I need a driver's license? I drive yeah, yeah, just yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I get that argument, and I would actually like to look into the legal uh the legal theories that support this idea <coughs> but also these ancient draconian laws need to be like like there's a law uh, uh Tim Poole brings it up on his excellent podcast uh fairly often there's a law in Florida that says uh, unmarried women can't go skydiving on Sunday. And it's still on the books, or at least it was until recently. Things yeah, like that. Like, we, we've got loads of old English ones like that as well. Like you're not allowed to carry a, a wet card or something in London. And on, on one hand, I think, okay, we should probably have our legislators focusing more on current legislation but at the same time in the example of this law i mean like like sodomy laws for example still on the books in multiple states yeah but of course they're not going to be enforced because i mean gay marriage is legal most places but it's things like that that are affecting Donald Trump, for example, and these ancient laws that have been, you know, that were meant for, uh, like Confederate generals in the civil war era, since they haven't been reworked, since they haven't been, you know, relitigated since 1864. Now these corrupt prosecutors can go back and go, how can we use these ancient laws? to screw our political opponents. And and that's what I'm not okay with. Democrat or Republican, libertarian, whatever your you know political leanings, you should be very against 
the weaponization of the justice system against any class of person. Because if you don't have strength and integrity and honor in your justice system, then what do you have? Like we, in, in America, we have this perfect storm of a uh, c- completely corrupt judiciary, hat tip Merrick Garland, attorney general, corrupt bastard. And we have a completely corrupt and complicit media that, that doesn't report on, on any of the corruption. What, what did I hear? Uh, I think it was Phil Labonte, the lead singer for the heavy metal band All That Remains said uh, in medicine, you take the Hippocratic Oath, right? That says, do no, do no harm, among other things. Well, in the media, you also take a similar oath. I mean, I don't think you're, it's, it can be uh, legally binding. But it says, report the news without fear or favor. And we have absolute blatant favor being paid to one side for people like Hunter Biden. And that is perpetuated by these spineless journalists that are willing to do whatever they're told to, to earn their paycheck. And I don't know that I can really blame them. Like I, I have a hard time. I, I personally, would not compromise. I mean, how much, how much money would someone have to pay you to, you know, record a news broadcast reporting on things that you knew to be false? I, wow. How much, would, how much would they have to pay me to just report stuff that wasn't true? Yeah, that you knew wasn't true. That I knew that wasn't true? I mean, I don't know what the number is for me. Hey, I I don't know if there isn't. It's just not something I'm really interested in. I mean, it would have to be like uh, from from Narcos. What was it that Escobar said? Plata o plomo? Silver or lead? It would have to be, you can take this $10 million dollars and report this fake news or will murder your family. I mean, then, then I would do it. But beyond that, yeah. I mean, I don't think I would just take a straight cash payment to lie. I mean, like they, they do. Um, I saw somebody was sharing screenshots of their direct messages from, uh, I think it was, oh, it was, it was about the, uh, the government shutdown. That's looming. Oh, heaven help us. Please shut it down quick. Um, and they wanted to get sort of an, anti, an anti-government shutdown, uh, anti-Matt Gates, who is a congressman from Florida, who is sort of leading this charge against uh, the Speaker of the House, McCarthy, to basically shut down the government. I mean, not necessarily shut down the government, but his, his position is uh, no more upvote, downvote on these massive spending packages that have all of this government waste jammed in there. 
So basically, no more politics in all of our budget spending bills. We're going we're gonna to break everything up into various uh, you know, smaller bills that say, uh, eight, I think, what's the number? $881 billion for the Department of Defense. Yes or no? Not a trillion dollars for the Department of Defense, the Department of Justice, the State Department, the Department of Homeland Security, this, you know, like, oh, and then also uh, 500 million for uh, gender identity programs in Pakistan. Like, like that's that's all of the stuff. This is essentially how politicians launder money back to themselves. They put all of this uh, excess spending in these massive one vote budget bills and then they hook all their homies up with all this American taxpayer cash. And then, Oh, what a surprise. It makes its way back into the coffers of the same politicians that legislated these spending bills in the first place. Yeah, so, for sure. To my I point, love how they name them as well. Cause like if someone doesn't vote for it, they're like, Oh, you don't want to vote for saving people from the pandemic. Yeah. He, or he you don't want to vote. Against, for... Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. 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 He voted against, uh, you know, a billion dollars to veterans affairs. He hates the troops. You know, that's a, that's a big one. You know, anything, anything that they can get, anything that they can twist to make it look, you know, make, make the other political party look bad is, is what, I mean, and that's, that's what, that's what this single subject spending bill legislation. I mean, it's not really legislation. It's just a house rule. That's what this is meant to remedy. And so I saw this, uh, this screenshot of this direct message that said, you know, we're going to, we're trying to push this message out, this anti-government shutdown message, to which the person yeah. responded, I, I'm not going to promote things that I don't believe in, regardless of how much money you're willing to pay me to do this, you know, paid poster, retweet, or whatever. And, and, and none of those people, I mean, I'm convinced now, none of those, those kind of people, the kind of people that would say no money is, is worth lying to the American public. I don't believe any of those people work at the Washington Post or the New York Times or any MSNBC, CNN, any mainstream, I mean, even Fox News. I, I know that's, that's probably debatable. I think, like, I really like Jesse Waters on Fox News. He kind of got tapped to be the next Tucker, but that's the thing. If you're low on the totem pole, especially, like, you know, neo-journalists like us in this position. Yes. If somebody, like, there was, there was this big sensation several months ago. I, I reported on it when I was just doing a solo podcast. Uh, Steven Crowder, comedian, media personality, uh, you might be familiar. He actually did this really impressive, uh, he had this really impressive idea where he went to college campuses, set up a table, and then, and then made a banner to put across the front of the table that, <laughs> that would say things like, uh, there are only two genders, change my mind. And then he would... I, yeah, I know exactly who you mean now, yeah. He would interview these college students who would try to, you know, debate him. Uh, on his argument 
And this was how he sort of launched his career. Really brave, really impressive. I mean, I, I yeah, saw some real. videos yeah, yeah. of him doing uh, less, you know, more unsavory things. Like the one thing that, that comes to mind is he's, uh, I don't even know if he was actually the one that was filming, but he uh, was at a fast food establishment and he was actually like behind the counter standing really close to this guy pretending like he's not being aggressive. I'm like, dude, you're on the other side of the counter where people like you aren't supposed to be standing really close to this guy that you're having an argument with. That's aggressive. Doesn't mean, I mean, just because you're not yelling and thrashing and waving your arms around doesn't mean you're not being aggressive. And he was trying to sell it like he wasn't being aggressive. And that's, I, I, I'm back and forth on how I feel about Steven Crowder, but one of the positive things, one of the things more recently that kind of brought me around, even though I don't really listen or pay attention to any of his content, mainly because it's directed at like a more of a YouTube audience. It's more of a TV show than it is a podcast. But he exposed a major network, uh, the, the Daily Wire, home to uh, Ben Shapiro, and Matt Walsh, you know, the guy that made the What is a Woman documentary. So this network, the Daily Wire, <coughs> was bringing in uh, young, conservative, lesser-known talent. And the contract that they put before them said, you, uh, you're basically uh, on the hook, or that's, that's not the right word to use. Basically, he said, uh, this, this contract said, if you get banned on YouTube, we're going to dock your pay. So you're effectively at the mercy of these big tech censorship platforms, even though you're working for our network. And I'm sure as a businessman, you can understand why they would do something like this. But they also had to know that they were forcing these new up-and-coming media personalities to follow the terms of service of these corrupt platforms that are pushing radical leftist narratives. Yeah, for sure. I think as like a business, um, some of the hardest things to do when you get to a certain size like that is like toe the line between appeasing to the government in which you're at the behest of, which is the American one, or if you're more of a European country than, you know, the EU or the UK, and also allowing a certain level of um, rule bending to, to, you know, let free speech happen and let creativity flow. And I think it, it ends up happening in this certain way where uh, platforms are really free and they become really popular. Then they become really popular and money starts to talk and then they have to clamp down and then the goes into a stagnation phase. Then a new uh, platform comes along, you know, and then it happens over and over again, like a cycle, a cyclical thing. Because once you get to that size, like, how do you then, once you start to put in those checks and balances to stop that kind of content, how do you then come back down from that? You can't really, because if you come back down from that, then the government's going to be breathing down your neck and you'll have loads of really cool content, 
But if the government's going to breathe down your neck and, and, and shut you down eventually, then no one makes any money. So it's it's one of these things that happens like, yeah, in, in these cycles. The fact that YouTube stayed really popular is is honestly more to do with the fact that they're just a straight up monopoly and Google has like, yeah, every, just owns everyone. YouTube is, like, still, it, YouTube is still the only place that you can go watch a music video. Right. For exactly. the most part. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a it's it's a platform of necessity than it is, you know, like than than something that uh, people are like, oh, I must, I, I I can't wait to use YouTube. It's it's not one of those things where people right. are like, you know, n- not like when people flooded to TikTok. That was different. That was like, holy shit, I need to go check out TikTok. It's where all the new content is. It's where all the new creators are. There's this whole industry. And, you know, they're massive now and they'll get to a point where they're going to start really clamping down on the, on the censorship. This is a little bit right now, but with the amount, with some of the content I've seen on TikTok, it's nowhere near as fucking censored as, as what like YouTube would be. YouTube is like, you do anything about guns, see you later. You do anything about law, see you later. You do anything about like uh, something that doesn't toe the exact like legal line of whatever the government's putting out. Goodbye. You, you, you just good. Good luck. You do anything around music that isn't, you know, uh, that isn't like from a record label. Uh, see you later. Can't do it. Right. If so you're not the ve- official, if you're not the official channel of of the band or the label. Yeah, of course. Yeah, good. Infringing. Yeah, just, 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 just good luck. But on on like platforms like like TikTok, that is completely different. And you know, they have a better relationship with music. You can the music artists upload their music to TikTok and then you can use it in there so people can use music and the artists get a kickback and people get to use the music in their videos without getting copyright strikes uh, which is like something that should have been done at YouTube fucking years ago and now that now they're starting to do that so like when I upload my podcast onto YouTube before it would be like blocked in all the countries but now they allow me to use the music in my videos free of charge they don't block my videos at all and it's because of platforms like TikTok that you know people could just upload shit there instead rather than YouTube Shorts. So uh, it's 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 a really interesting. But you know TikTok will get to a point. You know especially since they're a Chinese company, they they will get to a point mm-hmm. where uh, that 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 it becomes you know stagnated. Um, similar to what happened at Vine. Similar to what's happened at Instagram. What kind of content do you see on Instagram that's relatively interesting or hip or cool? Nothing really. It's mostly for me. It's just mostly music, and there's a little bit of alternative health and stuff on there that that people that people do. But you know, Instagram is very much a stagnated platform, as well as Facebook. Facebook is is off the cliff and falling in terms of its you know popularity. Well, um, how much uh, of that? How much of that do you think has to do with the the leftists? narrative or or whatever the the new world order narrative and or or does it have to do with advertisers i think it has to do with yeah advertisers for one um but advertisers are corporations themselves and are steered by certain things so you know if the majority of an of an employee base in a company is more left leaning then they're only going to want to put money into advertisers uh, into companies that sell ads um, that are that are of the same culture. So there's that, right? Um, and you'll find it the other way too. So I don't think it's necessarily a agenda problem as much as it is companies having an agenda at all. You know, it, it could happen the other way. You know, let's let's say 
let, let's say, let's go back all the way to 1940, 1942, during the Nazi heyday, all that sort of stuff, and even before the war, that's a very fascist society. And it was the same way, but just a completely different. You know, businesses could only work with other businesses if 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 they had a fascist agenda. Uh, news news outlets had a fascist thing on them. So it happens in both ways, different directions. But the real problem is the is the agenda. It's is is just having agenda at all. Yeah. Um, that really seems to be the problem is that companies shouldn't really give a shit about anything other than making money. Um, in my opinion, if, if there is a certain virality around something, as long as it's not making the product look bad, quite often it's always good. You know, if you're, if you have something that goes viral and it makes a product look bad, ultimately that's going to look bad for your product. And I would understand that advertisers don't want to put ads out or put ads on content that make them look bad. That is just a business decision in general, but it's different. If it if it if it makes them look bad on a certain agenda, that's that's a little bit harder to to understand because you have people that believe in a different way, and I don't I don't want to sit here and say that the the majority of of an opinion is a, is a certain way or a certain agenda because it, it genuinely isn't. Most people, gen genuine people, have very moderate views. They're not really radical people they're people that just live general lives and that should be quite often in business that is usually your main uh consumer base unless you sell something that is particularly you know targeted to a niche audience you know for for example you could have a leftist podcast and for that i would understand that you would probably put your ads on a certain supplier that would push into a more leftist space around certain agendas but for the most time, for the most part, you know, the big advertisers we're talking about is not like little podcasts or little news articles or news outlets. Big companies, Google, the Apples, the Samsungs, these are the people that pay the big money for like Super Bowl and Facebook. And, Isn't it interesting? And I think it's like yeah. it's stuff that you already know exists. Like that's that's what always what I've always found interesting about major advertising. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like the Super Bowl. It's Doritos and beer yeah, and yeah. and and Taco Bell and Ford and Chevy, and it's like we we see these things as we drive down the road. Right, 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 right. Like how many? Well, I don't know about in the UK, but like when I drive down the road, it's all Chevys and Rams and Fords, and you know, like hey, I'm aware that Ford makes trucks. I'm aware, I'm aware that Ford makes trucks every year. And if you're 15 years old, you probably know that Ford makes trucks every year. But those are the same companies yeah. that dominate. And in fact, it's, it, it's like it makes news when a company doesn't advertise their things. Oh, of course. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it should be big news, to be fair, because that tells you a lot about um, what that company thinks of that advertising stream, as well as maybe where they're at in their business. The thing you have to think about with massive ad campaigns on on social media and the Super Bowl is they're not necessarily advertisement, as they are brand awareness and also affirmation. Um, yeah, also like like trademarking, and and also keeping out their competition from advertising in, in a big way. You know, if Doritos didn't have the Super Bowl spot, 
there could be another snack that takes that spot. And then it's not the Doritos at Super Bowl. It's this other snack. So that's another major motivation for these companies to do that. As well as on Facebook. Because, you know, there is always, uh, you know, a fight on Facebook. Who's paying the most for this, for your engagement? Uh, When you see an ad on Facebook or Instagram or online and which is very few now because we all have ad blockers but whenever you have targeted content let's say there's always something going on in the background to decide which uh person that spent money on ads is going to be shown that ad at that time so there's there's a little bit of a fight internally with advertisers on trying to get the most engagement out of these platforms they're fighting for your engagement and so that's why big ad campaigns happen on various platforms as well is because you know let's say apple's bringing out a new phone at the same time samsung is well if apple spends more money and gets more you know engagement and gets more face time with with those people then they're going to think of the apple iphone more than they are the, you know, the Samsung Galaxy, whatever they, they're coming out with. So there's a bit of that. So there's, there's, and that is balanced with this agenda thing. But what we're seeing now, as I'm sure many people in our space have probably noticed, is that the overall corporate and economic uh, sort of scene has changed uh, since things have gotten a little worse for people around the world. Suddenly, people's priorities are changing, and I think people are caring a lot less about these sort of issues around green, around being woke, and stuff like that. They're more focused on how they're going to get, you know, what are the what is the next five years going to look like for me and my potential family, my family, I'm moving out, yada yada yada. You know, this this goes right into you know this brand new story about Rishi Sunak. Um, that has decided to significantly roll back a lot of the um, net zero and green policies that he was wanting to do. And his his uh, reasoning for that was that he didn't think it was fair to put these policies to leave these policies in place uh, while we were going through some economic troubles because it does cost people more to do the green thing. It just it just does, and I think that's the sign of the times right now. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I remember thinking the same thing in during the Obama administration. All of these hardships placed on on not just companies but everyone when the economy was so bad. Now we're going to take these extreme measures to you know reduce carbon emissions, you know, and and when we're going to push these green policies my position was why don't we relax a little bit and just let people survive fix the economy get people back on track and then let i mean it's like i don't know <laughs> you're 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 worried about changing your light fixtures while your basement is filling up with water. It's like, hey, f- focus on the most urgent problem and, and then work your way towards, you know, more environmentally friendly policies. But it, yeah. it's also like, I, I see the other argument. Like, I completely see the other argument. These, these companies want to maintain their top position. And the top positions are 
oil and gas. <coughs> For sure they are. For sure they are. Yeah. And of course, you know, having customers that use oil and gas as well is <laughs> is the very key to their business. Not not only you know, they've they've got attacks from both sides on the licensing for the oil fields as well as their potential customers. So I think what Rishi Sunak has said today and even just yesterday they've they've approved the second largest uh, oil field ever in the North Sea uh, has just gone just gone green. So we should be we should be getting that online in the next sort of like four or five years, which should radically increase the amount of um, oil and gas that we produce uh, natively, which is a good thing because we won't be using any more oil or gas than we would be otherwise. We're just using stuff that uh, isn't bought on the global market where there's um, price fluctuations and shipping costs and all that sort of stuff rolled into one. So I think when people talk about oil and gas licenses, they're like, oh no, you're pumping more oil and more gas and you shouldn't be doing this. It's not about that. Like We can use less of it, okay? Because it's our oil and gas. We can just use less of it. We don't have to pump it all out. But it's the fact that we're not paying through the nose for it when we are using it. Well, it would be, it would be nice to not have this be part of the conversation forever. Like it, it would be nice to actually move on. But at the same time, why, like, why do we have to be so drastic? It, it, it really hurts the sincerity of these, these arguments, these, these pro-environment green policies, because we just fight about it. It's like it's becoming this, this new, like it's becoming the new uh, uh, abortion argument. It's something for politicians to run on every single election cycle. And if we actually solve the problem, like immigration, if we actually solve the problem, like forever wars, there's always, it's these, I I feel like these issues persist because the politicians have to have something to argue about. And they don't want to do any actual real work. They don't want to do any actual connecting with their constituents to find out what the actual problems are that are facing everyday people. They just want to argue about, oh, college college tuition forgiveness let's i mean that's that's the democrat thing you're going to hear more about college loan college student loan forgiveness oh and reparations for the the disenfranchised african american families that have you know ancestry who were slaves we got to give them uh, five, california says 5 million dollars let's give let's completely bankrupt our economy and give every African-American family $5 million because uh, some people that were Americans owned some other people that were Africans at one time. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Just like college uh, tuition forgiveness, college loan forgiveness, never going to happen. It's just some more bullshit that they feed you to try to buy your vote. And every, yeah. every politician is guilty of it. And it's never gonna happen. But no, the, it's, it's, the, it's, it's true. the electric vehicle thing, that might actually happen. Because uh, as of, I think, a week ago, Toyota has made a breakthrough with its batteries for electric vehicles. This uh, article from topgear.com uh, the BBC version, not the American version. 
the the good <laughs> the good version. <laughs> um, but for real, man, that BBC Top Gear, I was addicted to that show for a while. Yeah, that's the best thing that we that the UK has ever done in terms of like television. I think really. So I mean, I'll I'll take your advice on that, but it's oh, so good, so good. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I digress. <laughs> From the article, uh, Toyota has made a breakthrough in its development of solid-state batteries. I've been saying solid-state batteries. The Japanese carmaker reckons it won't need to compromise on shorter battery life, a typical trade-off, when it puts its new solid-state batteries into mass production in 2027. Now, all, all of these, like all the, the legislation, the state legislation in the states has been uh, no more you know gas gas it'll be illegal to sell gas vehicles in uh california by 2030 or 2035 and then a bunch of other states signed on and said yeah yeah we'll do that too we'll we'll they is and and so it's it's bizarre that so many state legislations have ties to whatever california does like, because I think, I think it's like 13 other states, so 14, including California, will all ban their gas vehicles. Yeah. But for the 13 other states, it's, it's explicitly because that's what California is doing. So we're going to do it too. Which seemed, I mean, it was like a pipe dream. You know, I think I, I mentioned, maybe not into the microphone, but I, I don't think that these, uh, you know, wh- whichever politicians happen to be in power at the time when 2030 rolls around and they're supposed to put up or shut up on, the, on banning these gas oh, vehicles, yeah. they're going to shut yeah. up. They're not going to do it. They're going to reverse that legislation because the politicians, oh. the politicians that did it, they got their pat on the back and now they've been out of office for, you know, hopefully 10 years. And nobody cares. I mean, who knows yeah, what? And I'm so surprised that Rishi Sunak has done it so, so early. Um, you know, he's, he's delayed it. He was supposed to, the ban was supposed to be around uh, 2030. He's delaying it to 2035, which is a significant uh, delay. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's good. You know, I think, uh, you know, if Toyota is going to get this, you know, new solid state battery into mass production by 2027, then, you know, you're going to imagine that most of their cars will probably have some sort of technology like that, 2027, 2028. That'll still be sort of like a beta product for that um, battery technology. So, you know, by 2030, that might become um, consolidated and, and uh, more widely used. So I think it's probably a good idea because from what Toyota's saying, you know, they're still making huge breakthroughs and this is still going to be expensive. Well, right? yeah, let's so, from, from the article, as the manufacturer says, quote, solid state batteries have long been regarded as a potential game changer for electric battery vehicles or, or battery electric vehicles, BEVs. Right, 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 right. Currently a liquid electrolyte carries the electrons from the cathode to the anode and vice versa. While Toyota doesn't specify the material they use, Generally, solid state means the electrolyte is gel-like. Typically, yeah, a gel-based good. electrolyte is considered safer, more stable, yeah. 
Not only that, the gel enables ions to move more quickly. A mm. solid electrolyte also has a better tolerance for higher voltages and temperatures. That's great news for rapid charging, which Toyota calculates will be less than 10 minutes for a 10 to 80% state of charge using these new solid state batteries. I think that's telling me, telling you, telling us, that in 10 minutes, you can go from 10% battery to 80% battery. Yeah, for sure. And in but the I next article, should, it says yeah. that their the driving range will be up to uh, roughly 620 miles. It says it's only a 20% increase, but <clears throat> from the mainstream offerings in the U.S., that's more than double the range uh, of, of, you know, what you can get today. Yeah, for sure. And, and even though the increase in mileage isn't that much, considering that you can charge 80% of the battery in 10 minutes, then that, that's completely game-changing compared to what we're at right now. But what you should take away from this article is really, if you're looking to buy an electric car, you wait. should probably just wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You should probably just wait until 2028 wait. Uh, when, when this technology is actually worth paying money for. Because right now, it's like, well, okay, I'm stuck on the shitty batteries. I'm stuck on some beta products that I'm basically paying a company to do R&D for me. So then I can pay them again in another five years when this thing becomes really, really good. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you, yeah, so yeah, you should definitely, yeah, as we, as we were saying in, I can't remember if it was last episode or the week before, you should definitely go and check that out, by the way, because we go a little bit more in, uh, in depth on some of these topics. Um, but yeah, you should totally just wait. Well, I, so my, my finance, I mean, this isn't financial advice, but just as, as an example of what I'm done, be, what I've done and because of this, this new development, I'm feeling especially good about my decision. So literally the weekend before the fed did its first rate increase in the in, interest rate increase by the federal reserve, the weekend before that happened, I broke down and bought two well-used vehicles for my family. My truck and my wife's car, and we got it. We got out of there with like three. I think the interest rate on my truck, my my ten year old Ram truck, was like three point eight, because they had a hard time finding an institution to uh, finance such an old vehicle. But my my wife was like a full point below that. So we got we got great interest rates on our vehicles. If I had if had we not done that, what I would personally do. If you're in the market, it, it, were I in the market, I'm trying to make this about myself, <laughs> not sound like I'm giving financial advice. What I would do if I didn't just purchase some new vehicles uh, a few years ago, I would wait for the interest rates to fall to a suitable level. And I think actually I've seen some places are at least advertising 0% interest rates. I don't know how legit that is. Yeah, it might be a teaser rate for like a year. Yeah, probably. I'm sure that's what it is because the, the Fed has not cut interest rates. No. I would wait for interest rates to come down so that I could get a good price on a used vehicle, a used gas-burning vehicle, or maybe a hybrid or something. Some good solid technology that's going to get you where you need to go absent a fast charging station. And then you could conceivably make it 
all the way to 2035 when this solid state battery tech is going to be excellent. And then you, I mean, hopefully in theory, I would say at the rate technology develops, you would be able to have the literally the best case scenario on your electric vehicle purchase. Because I, I mean, honestly, I don't even know how I feel about Rishi Sunak rolling back these, these environmental protections. On one hand, I think good. Like the government should not be forcing anyone to buy anything. Like yep. that's some, that's some gnarly fascist bullshit. Yeah. But at the same time, I do feel like it's this mandate to develop good, reliable electric vehicles that has brought us to this point where we're Toyota now, although this is, this is Japan based Toyota, like, like Toyota builds a lot of its vehicles in the United States. I mean, a lot of the United States Toyotas are, are, uh, assembled in the U S but this is Tokyo based Toyota that has made these advances in solid state battery technology. So it's not as if Joe Biden has given a billion dollars to Japanese Toyota to make this advancement in, in battery technology. This is something that Toyota did on its own, absent incentives from the Biden administration. Yeah, but I'm really excited. Uh, business and competition and free market shit, man. I'm excited. I, I really, I, 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 want it to, I want it to work because gas and oil, that's, that's old technology. I mean, whether or not it's really a fossil fuel, as, as Rockefeller proposed at the, the World's Fair, you know, hundreds of years ago, or it's, I mean, as they say, the second most abundant liquid on the planet. If we got something better, let's do it. Let's do it. Why not? Yeah, of course. You know, natural gas is better than coal. That's why we use it in our power stations. And nuclear is better than that. And that's why we should use it for that. And if electricity is better for cars, then for sure we should do that. Visit Fox404.com find links to uh, all of our podcasts and follow us there. I am at EarthVox on X. Please follow me there. We also have, uh, well, we have a version of a podcast on Rumble.com. Rumble needs your support. Go there. Follow us. Follow. You know what? I don't know if I feel comfortable (laughs) telling people to go follow Russell Brand because uh He's an admitted deviant, and uh, you're going to believe what you want to believe. But you can find Russell Brand along with many other uh, less rapey content creators on Rumble. uh, And I'm sure they would all appreciate your support. Uh, 404, final words. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Please go and listen to, as I said earlier the very next episode because there's more on some of the topics we touched on today as well as plenty of other uh, lovely bits and pieces and uh, yeah good to hear from you guys we'll talk to you soon